Two guys, two continents, two missionaries, one gospel. You're listening to the Truth Be Known podcast with your hosts, Nathaniel Jolly and Bill Isa. Okay, for you guys out there who are listening to our podcast and you're thinking about doing your own, uh, just real quick in 30 seconds, let me give you a heads up. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. In 30 seconds here, it's absolutely free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which is awesome. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and many more. Also, you can make money from your podcast, which is exactly what I'm doing right now, in 30 seconds with no minimum listenership. It's an awesome place to do your podcast. It's everything you need all in one place. So download the free Anchor app, or you can go to anchor.fm to get started. Super easy. If you're thinking about doing a podcast, go check it out. So without further ado, we'll jump right into our content. Well, welcome back to the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. With your second host, Bill Issa from Uganda. So, guys, we have a very exciting topic for you on today's podcast. We're going to be talking about a topic that it, it's not a new topic within the church. And in all honesty, it's been a debate between cessationists and continuationists for a long time. And it's really the conversation over the gift of speaking in tongues, glossolalia. And it's gone on for well over about a century or so. At the very beginning here, I, I want to make two very obvious differences between a biblical cessationist understanding of the gift of tongues and the charismatic Pentecostal view. And then we'll just kind of dialogue uh, about those things. So number one, Generally speaking, in the charismatic Pentecostal church, they believe that the gift of tongues has continued, right? Hence the word continuationism, and that's where it comes from. While cessationist, or the biblical view, as indicated by the name, believes that that gift has ceased. Now, the second big thing is that charismatics generally teach that the gift of tongues can sometimes be a foreign language, but most of the time, they teach that it's primarily some sort of heavenly, angelic prayer language that no one but God can understand. While the biblical view, the cessationist view, is that the gift was always a miraculous gift of being able to speak an actual foreign language fluently that was previously unknown to the person speaking it, as we can see in Acts chapter 2. So those are kind of our our two big differences. In fact, maybe we'll just kind of have, uh, Bill and I was having a conversation before we started recording about how we spoke in tongues and maybe that'd just be a good conversation to have again because it's very interesting and so when i was in the charismatic church here and i think this is the general western experience there was never a time where i didn't know that i was making up what i was saying that's a big deal right i mean because it means i know i was effectively lying right was saying it was the holy spirit uh, but I knew that it it was just babble that I was making up. I, I could do it right now, right? Shamalama ding dong, kondara barasata right? 
I mean, I just said absolutely nothing. I made all that up. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It's just baby gibberish. Now, I think the thing is that the longer you're in that movement, you start to deceive even yourself into thinking that, well, maybe this is actually the real biblical gift. You know, that wasn't just my experience, but I, I know from being in for so long, and especially here in the West, you know, we're taught how to do the gift, right? So Kenneth Copeland, for instance, will get people together or, or in his little rooms, they'll have people together and they'll say, just open your mouth up and start making up words. In case closed, right there, you start by learning. If it's a miraculous gift, then it's not something you learn. So that was my experience in speaking at Tongues. Now, your experience was a little bit different, and, and you kind of have two different categories of, of people that speak tongues in African Pentecostalism. Tell us a little about what you were telling me earlier, Bill. Yes, brother. You know, um us living uh, in two different contexts, two different cultures, two different continents. Obviously, we, uh, we should also be having different experiences in this. I stayed long in, in charismaticism, and I really went deep in those things. So I can say that really here, we have those two groups. Yeah, the first group is just as, as you've just explained, of those, especially these days, as I've been telling you before we started the recording, that uh, these days people are now many things from the West, and many people are just making these tanks out of their own mind. That, that's one group. But also in Africa here, because of our culture of that is built under superstition, sorcery, witchcraft, and so forth, there is also another group of Pentecostal charismatics who do not cook, as we put it in Uganda. They don't fashion what they say, but they are just covered by a certain power. Yes? Okay, so you cut out a little bit. You were saying that the second group, the guys don't cook it up, so they, they're not making it up, but there's some kind of power sure. coming over them. Yes, to continue from there, brother. Yes, but some kind of power. They are just covered by some power and they start speaking in, a, in, in that new time. Because me, for example, uh, as I told you before, I, I'm more in time than yourself, brother, because I was many years in those things and I, and I was a, a special special uh, secretary to a prophetess. So obviously I had to speak in tongues. And uh, with my own experience, for example, I belong to this other group of people who did not cook it up. Cook it up. So but sometimes I could start by shaking, you know, before the tongue comes. And all of a sudden you just hear tongue come from you. So, so now the power could come and cover you. The question is, which power now? From where? You know, I think the conclusion we come to is that if, if someone is speaking in tongues and, you know, we're going to get into the grammar of the text, we're, we're going to get into what the Bible actually says. But I think the reality is that for tongue speakers, you either fall into one or two categories, either you know, or at least at some stage you knew you were making it up. And so really you're just sure. living a, a full life of deceit or you're in a group that's experiencing some kind of demonic power. And, yeah, sure, sure. And, and that's a big deal. And that's, that's an interesting thing that you point out because 
there are actually several pagan groups that do what you've just described. I mean, there, there are groups who practice ecstatic speech that are completely pagan from voodoo to African witch doctors to Buddhist monks to the founders of Mormonism. They all, air quotes, spoke in tongues. And we know that those groups had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And so it brings up a valid question. If pagan groups can do the very same thing that charismatic Pentecostals claim is coming from the Holy Spirit, are we saying... To cut you short on that point, just to, 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 to add on what you're saying... Yeah, go for it, brother. That even people who are not Christians can speak in tongues because, you know, I lived in a... In, in a a family full of witchcraft, my own family. My family really was rooted in the things of witchcraft because my father believed in them and he had a, the strongest witch doctor in the area. And he, he, he used to invite him at our home once every month. Yes, so, uh, also, I had an uncle who was a Muslim himself, but also a witch doctor. People could go to him for healing and have other things. Not a Christian. One, first a Muslim, and then two, a witch doctor. But you, you used to speak in tongues, brother. If nothing else, we're confronted that, of the reality that um, either you're forced to say that what happens today is not the Holy Spirit at all, or you're forced to say that now the Holy Spirit is working in, working in pagan and witchcraft, which is just utter <laughs> blasphemous, right? Yes. One of the two, yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, brother, let's, we talked a little bit about, uh, I referenced the Acts uh, 2 passage earlier, and I want to get into that a little bit, but let's just go ahead and talk a little bit about the the Greek word in scripture for tongues, because it's, it's important. In fact, it's very important. When we read the Bible, we need to know what it is actually saying. And, you know, when we read it in context, when we read it with proper grammar, you know, we come to a conclusion that God meant for us to come to rather than just kind of making up what we want it to say, which is a lot of what happens in, in the charismatic Pentecostal church. So maybe maybe before you read, brother, I just want to let our audience, our listeners know really that what, what, what we just said, that uh, the, the Bibles we have uh, of French, English, Luganda and whatever, these were not the languages that were used to write the New Testament. It was Greek, and therefore, what you are saying is very, very important. People should know that you need to go and check the, the Greek meanings before you, you continue interpreting the text the way you want to interpret. So, the, 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 the meaning of Greek uh, language that was used to write the New Testament are very, very important for us. That's, that's why you need to take them to, to these Greek words. Go, 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 go ahead, brother, and tell us about these Greek words. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, and I think to your point, we should also add, you don't have to be a Greek scholar, if you just read with a little bit of common sense, right? So we're going to do that too, but I do want to get into the Greek words. And, you know, so we're looking at the Greek word glossa, which is translated as tongue in the English. Now, that word glossa is used in the Greek language in two different ways. The first way is to actually just describe the fleshy appendage in your mouth called the tongue. The, the second meaning is just simply language, right? A, a genuine human language. 
Those are the two uses of that word. And in fact, I want to quote something here from someone who is himself a continuationist. And he says this, and I quote, In the New Testament passages where speaking in tongues is discussed, the meaning languages is certainly in view. It is unfortunate, therefore, that English translations have continued to use the phrase speaking in tongues, which is an expression not otherwise used in ordinary English, and it gives the impression of a strange experience, something that was completely foreign to ordinary human life. But if English translations were to use the expression speaking in languages, it would not seem nearly as strange, and it would give the reader a sense much closer to what first century Greek speaking readers would have heard in the phrase when they read it in Acts or First Corinthians. So, I mean, this is important because this is a guy who is charismatic himself, saying mm. that the gift of tongues clearly in Scripture, based on the language, can only be a human language. Also here, brother, I, 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 you know, just to, to let our audience or our listeners know that this word glossa, which means both the, the organ... The, uh, the tongue as an organ, but also a, a language appears in the Greek New Testament not le- not less than fifty times. It is mostly used, and it's mostly used to refer to the physical organ of the tongue, as we find it in James chapter three and verse five. That it's used to to refer to the organ that that is found in our mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point. And, you know, actually, let's read that passage because, you know, maybe guys are listening to this podcast driving and and they don't have access to a Bible because this is a big passage that charismatics will point to. Let let me just read that for us quickly. It's Acts chapter 2, 4 through 13. It says this, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven and when this sound occurred the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them and this is important each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language they were amazed and astonished saying why are not all these who are speaking Galileans so I mean right there they're hearing in their own language and they're confused because the people speaking are not from their countries let me just continue on here uh, verse from verse 8 And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. I mean, you read this passage, Bill, and it is crystal Mm -hmm. clear that a real language is what they were speaking. Now, you know, unless you're highlighting your Bible with a black marker, you just can't miss Mm -hmm. that fact. Yeah, sure. You see, like, like in Uganda here, brother, or let me say in some parts of Africa, so the objection to the human language, I want to just to come up with it because you remember, I was a charismatic for more than 20 years. 
So now, uh, these are some of the objections against human languages. Not every charismatic or Pentecostal here, I mean, says no to the human language issue. So now, listen to what some say. Some charismatics don't have any issue with the fact that those were human languages. The, what they say is that the Holy Spirit can enable a person in Uganda to speak in a language from a far distant island near Japan, for example, and that if a member of that community of that island near island near Japan came and heard him or her speak, he would understand the message. Do you hear that point, brother? Yeah. So some 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 people say they are angelical languages. Okay, those are just I don't know. But but others say, hmm, according to what you've just read, I can see that they were human languages, but that's not the problem. But God, when I say Orabashanta Krinta Karakito, this can be a language from some island near Japan that I'm speaking here, but that if a, a member of that island came and heard me speak, he would understand. But the question is, what was the purpose of those languages? Why did God allow these people to speak in those new languages? If you are speaking in Uganda in those languages and no no person here can hear you. You just want that member of that island to come so that they understand what's the purpose now. So that pushes me to, to I mean, to, to, to help them understand the purpose of, 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 of tongues as God gave them in Acts 2, namely um, to, to, to testify of the mighty works of God, you find that in Acts chapter two and verse eleven. So they were they heard them speaking these new languages, testifying of the mighty works of God, but also to build up the church. So now, if you are speaking in my church here in Uganda, that that language from Tokyo, and no one here understands that language, then what's the reason? Why don't you keep quiet? And you wait until that that member of that that island near Japan comes to our church, then you can speak it. Because God gave the languages so that people could speak the mighty works of God. And therefore, by speaking those, the church could be built up. People could be edified. So now, not be a language of, of, of angels. It's a language of maybe somewhere in the world that I don't know. But now, why are you speaking it here in Uganda? You first buy air, an air ticket, go to that island and speak it over there. Yes, brother. Yeah, I, it's a good point. And, and I think, you know, again, this comes to the point of, listen, people, I just want to beg charismatics out there to use a little bit of common sense, right? I, I mean, that, that is all, a lot of this, a lot of these issues are resolved just by thinking through them. You know, why, if you believe that it was a gift of real languages, which we do, right? That's what we would understand that gift to be. Uh, what would be the point of speaking it if no one around you can hear it? Sure. So obviously, that's not how God used it. If you're doing that today, then it's not God because it's totally outside 
of the point and purpose of doing that. Now, let me just clarify, you know, Bill and I, we are both in the cessationist camp. You know, we don't believe that that gift even exists anymore. That That's going to be a topic for a different podcast because that, that's probably a series and we'll have the continuationist cessationist debate later and really get in that. But, you know, brother, it's interesting because here in the Western world, I think it's probably more common that guys say it's a spiritual language. And that's because it's too easy for us to record what's being said and run it through a translator to prove it's not anything. So, I mean, that's really fascinating. In, you know, I can't remember when it was. Uh, in the early 1900s was kind of when Pentecostalism resurged and then it really started filtering over into mainline denominations in the U.S. in about 1960. But there was a group of people, uh, you know, early Pentecostals who also understood rightly the gift of tongues to be a foreign language. And they believed that they were speaking in Chinese. But there was really no way to test Ooh. And so... And this is associated with Parham and a bunch of those guys. And so they actually sent missionaries to China. This is all documented. And they got to China and started speaking what they thought was Chinese and no one could understand them. So what? they had to come back because, oops, what they were speaking was gibberish and not a real language. And in fact, it got so crazy that they, they claimed that they could write in tongues. And, and we actually have a recorded uh, copy of this lady's supposed writing in Chinese. Have, 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 you, have you ever seen those writings in tongues yourself? Yes, I have a copy on uh, in my files. And so now we can look at those and we can say, wow, clearly that was not Chinese at all. Literally just scribbles yep. on a paper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Margarita, uh, that, that you know, my, my former prophetess, used to, to write in tongues many times. Yeah, sometimes, you know, she could she could go in, into trance and she does not speak in tongues at all. She, she, she just, she starts just hitting down like this, hitting down with her finger. Immediately, I, I know that God wants to pass the message through writing so i have to provide a pen and a paper just things like that and then after writing those things down she comes back to her senses. she needs someone to get uh, another inspiration to read those writings so you know she was basing on on the many many ticket and piracy that that the other king saw uh, in, in, when they were having a party with the people. So saying, oh, you see those writings that God came and wrote on the, the wall? Yeah, God wants us to continue in it during these days. So she, and, and I was the one to keep all those writings. I had many books really full of gibberish in writing. So yeah. you, you look at the, 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 the writing, you cannot read, just lines and dots, lines and dots. Yeah, you can continue, brother. Yeah, and I, I mean, and so I think here in the West, a lot of the charismatics have gotten away from saying it's a uh, human language because it's too easy to prove that they're just making it up, right? So I think more common here uh, in, in the Western world, in Europe and the U.S. And, and such, is this heaven, this idea of it being an angelic language. And that's because if you say it's an angelic language that no one can understand, uh, really instantly you're pitting anyone who would come against you 
against the Holy Spirit, or you're pitting them against being able to interpret an angelic language, which is a little bit harder unless you actually read your Bible. And so oftentimes you'll hear charismatics here in the West take this same passage we just read and they'll take that very mm -hmm. end and they'll talk about being drunk in the spirit while they utter a bunch of gibberish and they'll point to the end of that passage and they'll say, see brother, it says that they thought that they were drunk and they were babbling and they use that just very in verse. But can I just recommend right here in this verse, first context, but secondly, if nothing else, just real common sense. Of course, mm. they thought they were drunk because those men didn't understand the languages being spoken. Sure. Right? So it, it would be like, if you come over here, brother, to a church in the West and you start speaking Swahili or Luganda and no one speaks it, we're all going to just assume you're some crazy person speaking gibberish, you know, if yeah. you know that. And likewise, you know, if mm. I were to go to probably some of the villages, you know, who speak Luganda or, or whatnot that don't speak English and I just start talking to them, they're just going to think I'm some kind of crazy white guy. They're not going to know what's going on. Uh, so it's sure. just a little bit of common sense. Obviously, these men didn't speak the languages from Mesopotamia and these other places. And so, of course, they're mocking them. I, again, so much of understanding scripture is just applying a little bit of common sense. Yeah, maybe we should change that word to applying uncommon sense because it doesn't seem to be that common. Mm -hmm. so, it's also, so it's amazing, brother, that uh, th this gift of tongues is mentioned in, in the four Gospels only once i was doing my research and i was amazed to find that it was mentioned in the four gospels only once by our lord jesus christ in mark 16 17 let me just read it quickly when our lord jesus christ said in mark 17 16 17 he said and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak in new tongues and you know it, it, in that in that um, sentence you find the ad adjective kainos in greek which means new simply meaning that these languages were going i mean these people are going to speak in languages new to them meaning that meaning languages they had not learned or used until that time that's the meaning of that the new there new here does not mean angelical or demonic or what it's just new in the fact that they had not spoken or learned it until that time yes brother you know d.a carson suggests that there mm. are only three ways a person can possibly interpret or, or define biblical tongues and let, let me just give what he says number one mm. They could be defined, they could possibly be defined as disconnected sounds, ejaculations, and the like that are co not confused with human languages. The second possibility is that they are a connected sequence of sounds that appear to be real languages, unknown to the hearer, not trained in linguistics, although they are not actually real languages. Or number three, they could be real languages known by one or more of the potential hearers even if unknown by the speaker. Now, Carson goes on to say, 
the biblical description of tongues seems to demand the third category, right? Which is what we've been advocating for. But the contemporary phenomena seems to fit better in the second category. And he says, never the twain shall meet. Um, now, Nathan Buznitz, who was my charismatic theology professor at the Master Seminary, he comments on Carson and says this, those different possibilities are significant because how one defines the New Testament gift of tongues significantly influences his position in the larger continuationist cessationist debate. He, continue, he goes on to say, those who limit tongues to verifiable and translatable languages Carson's third category, often reach cessationist conclusions, whereas those defining glossolalia as something broader, either of the first two categories, often embraces forms of continuationism. But I think by now, just in the few passages we talked about, if someone did believe that tongues was a spiritual language, they'd have to be forced to change that view by now. I mean, that's assuming that they mm -hmm. really are willing to submit to the word of God, because even just in the short conversation we've had, I, I think scripture is abundantly clear that it is, you know, always a known human language. It's just crystal clear when you read these passages. Mm. Yes, yeah, so brother, um, be before we end, first talk briefly about the first Corinthians 13, because here many people really do disturb. So don't you see, can't you read it with your bare eyes that uh, Paul said that? We, we are speaking in angelical languages? Yeah, I, I, that's a good one, brother, and it's a big one. Let me quickly deal with another issue, and then we'll jump to that one. And that's this whole idea of everybody speaking in tongues. I mean, that's a big thing in a lot of Pentecostal charismatic churches, right? You can turn on and watch Kenneth Copeland or something from Paula White. It, you know, you've got a guy, Naboth, and his community does the same thing. Mm. They try to get everybody to speak in tongues. TB Joshua, just a whole bunch of these guys, right? And I just want to read a passage that destroys that whole idea. 1 Corinthians 12.30, it is crystal clear. It just says mm. this. Paul says, all do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Obviously, we contend that the gifts have ceased, but clearly Paul makes that statement here. Not everyone had the gift. So the idea today that you only are baptized by the Holy Spirit if you have the gift of tongues, it's totally counter to what Paul says here. This text is explicit. It says everyone doesn't have the gift of tongues. I, how much more clear mm. could you possibly get than that? Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point, brother. Thank you for bringing, raising it because here, especially here, I don't know much about the, the where you were in the U.S., but here, brother, they really tell people that unless you speak in tongues, you can't have the Holy Spirit in you. So, and, and people always ask us, Pastor Bill, do you think someone can be indwelt with the Holy Spirit and yet they don't speak in tongues? So that, that's a very good point, brother, because you find, we find it in Scripture, unless they want just to disobey Scripture. Paul says, not everyone will speak in tongues. It's very, First Corinthians 12, it's very, very clear. So I'm glad that you've raised that point, brother. So people should know that. Even then, during that time, someone could be indwelt with the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues, even during those times. 
And you brought up the first Corinthians passage. I mean, again, this is another big passage, especially Pentecostals, uh, charismatics use to try to support the idea of an angelic language. And let's read through it real quick through verse five. It says, okay, this is again, first Corinthians 13, uh, one through five. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Now, John MacArthur, in his book, Strange Fire, he deals with this text and he says this. He says, quote, beyond being an insult to angels, that interpretation of 1 Corinthians 13.1 falls flat. Now he's talking about the interpretation to support angelic language. He says it falls mm -hmm. flat when one considers the context. Notice, first of all, that Paul's theme in 1 Corinthians 13 is love, not spiritual gifts. And he mm -hmm. introduces the subject this way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Paul's describing a hypothetical scenario. His subsequent examples in verse 2 through 3 indicate Paul was using, Paul was using extreme illustrations and hyperbolic language to emphasize the value of love, In quote. We were talking about this before. Again, this passage, you know, you don't need to know Greek. You don't need to have studied hermeneutics. You just need to be able to read on a kind of basic level, right? And let's just evaluate that passage. I have never met a person that thought the Apostle Paul could actually be transformed into a musical instrument. Have you ever met someone <laughs> that believe that? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's how absurd interpreting this passage that way is, because you can't take the first phrase, right, which is separated by a comma. It's in the same sentence. <laughs> you can't sep isolate one phrase from, you know, the whole train of thought. He goes on to say that if he knows all mysteries and all knowledge, well, if Paul was claiming to know all mysteries and all knowledge, he's making himself omniscient, which exactly would be God. Only God has that attribute. No one believes that Paul was God. So how can you believe sure. he was using that as a proof text to prove there's an angelic language, right? So, I mean, he goes on to say other things if I give all my possession to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned. Well, Paul never surrendered his body to be burned. It didn't. He, there's it didn't. no evidence he ever had the intentions of doing that, right? Mm -hmm. And so the point is that this is just the literary device hyperbole. It's, and we all do it, right? It's exaggerated speech. And so in the English language, we might hear people say something like, you know, I'll buy them a new house when pigs fly is an expression we might use. Well, obviously pigs do not fly. I'm just making a point that I'm never going to do that thing. Well, it, give us an example. You were, you were giving me an example in your context of exaggerated speech. Yeah, sure, sure, brother. When we were young, growing, we used just to use almost the same language, telling people, no, that guy, 
with what he did against me, I cannot give, share with, with him my, my things. Even if I use my finger to cut down and blood comes out. So now imagine, who has ever really used his finger to cut the ground and blood come? So you see, it, that's just an exaggeration. Just telling them, okay, okay, showing people the impossibility of me giving my phone or any of my things to this guy because he did A, B, C, D against me, so it's impossible. That's how impossible for me to give to this guy. So when we come back to our text, First Corinthians 13, Paul says, even if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong. So he's just showing you the impossibility. In other words, the importance of love compared to any other thing. So even if you spoke, even if you did this and that, it, it did not mean that there are language tongues or languages of angels or whatever. That's how I understand it all also. Hyperbole, exaggeration. And again, another good point is what just you mentioned briefly a, a moment ago of those other if if because why should you only concentrate on the first if where you will find the the tongues of men and angels and forget about the the, the following ifs down so if you can also explain the, the other ifs then we can go back to the first if and it will make sense but already you've told us that paul did not know all the mysteries he did not possess all the knowledge otherwise he would be god our god so this alone is nullifying the first eve of tongues of men and, and angels if you really study out first corinthians 12 through 14 and acts 2 the only conclusion you could possibly come to is that they are describing the same type of miraculous gift and that is a genuine language a little bit about the greek word glossa which again means language or or the organ the tongue but then you have the word laleo which means to speak is, is the way it's commonly rendered. And it's used in all of the examples we've talked about, plus a whole lot more. There, there is not a single place in the entire Bible where those two Greek words are used, where it isn't talking about speaking a human language. It, it just mm -hmm. doesn't exist in the entire Bible. And in fact, Thomas Edgar, who is a distinguished professor of New Testament literature and exegesis, he says this, there is no evidence in secular Greek of classical or Koine times, nor in pre-Christian Judaism, nor in biblical Greek of the Septuagint that glossa was ever used to mean ecstatic, unintelligible speech. Such speech, although common to pagan religion, was not described by glossa, but by another term. So it, it's a great point because the reality is, if the Bible was talking about something other than a human language, there's another word in the language they would have used for that. And that word is never used. Sure. And I, I wonder, because sometimes I see like First Corinthians 14, 9, which says, Paul says, so with yourselves, if you, uh, if, if your tongues, sorry, if with your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what he said? For you will be speaking into the air. So I don't know, uh, the people who really advocate for the 
the tongues. How, which explanation can they can they bring to such a scripture like First Corinthians fourteen nine, where Paul says, "No, if you speak what other people don't understand, you are speak, just speaking in the air." I don't know. I just I'm curious to know because me personally, when I was a charismatic, I didn't have an answer to such scriptures, brother, to speak the truth. So now, Paul himself that they 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 forced to say that he's the one who advocated for the the tongues is telling them. So even yourselves, if you, with your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, intelligible both to themselves speaking them and even to their audience, no one understands what they are saying. How will anyone know what he said? For you will be speaking in, into the air. This is a very, very important point. Even when I was a charismatic myself and my friends like, uh, uh, Justin Pierce started, I mean, reaching unto uh, me with the gospel. I could reason with, in two such scriptures, and I'm like, but when I speak these things, my, my so-called languages of the the angels, who understand? Understands? Even myself. By the way, you see what they say. Other guy again, go up to up to the point that. Uh, Okay, obviously. Okay, Pastor Bill, uh, uh, Pastor uh, Nathaniel, I'm going to, have to stop speaking it in church, but I'll be speaking it inside my bedroom when I'm praying because the Paul say that if they bring it builds you the person. Huh? Okay, so say something about that also. Yeah, they want to they want to stop speaking it in public because it has no interpretation. But they want to entertain it inside their bedroom when they are doing their personal prayers. Huh? Yeah, everything we've talked about up to this point really eliminates that, doesn't it? Because once you yes, that it's yes. a known human language, then everything else goes away that's considered a private prayer language or some kind of angelic language. And then you get the guys who think it's a genuine language which I think is more rare now, at least in the West. But then as you've made the point, obviously, if you don't have someone in Japan in your service and you're speaking that, it, it's not from God because that isn't what was used in the New Testament. You know, and of course, you and I, we would also make, make the point as cessationists. And the reason we, you and I, are cessationists is because, is because mm-hmm. we believe this is what the Bible teaches. The sure. point of these gifts was to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in the early church as a part of the foundation that was being laid for the church. That, that's the purpose of these miraculous sign gifts, right? This was one of the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts. The purpose was of all of these gifts, and we'll get into those passages in, in a later podcast, but the whole purpose of this was to give authority to the apostles and those who were preaching the gospel of Christ and to lay the foundation for the church. And that foundation has already been laid. And these mm. ceased, you know, in that era with the apostles, because once you build the foundation for a house, you don't build the foundation again. You just lay it once, right? And then you build on that. So I think the reality is that if we're just honest, brother, I think we could probably both agree that charismatics and myself included, I never really actually studied the scripture and asked the question, what is the biblical gift and what is it for? And I think, 
I, I truly believe that every Pentecostal and charismatic that is actively practicing this so-called tongue speaking falls into the category that they have never truly read the Bible to study this gift out and submitted to what scripture says. Because without Greek, without seminary, without hermeneutics, without those, you know, professional classes, as it were, without professional education, there are so many passages that we've touched on that are just so easy to understand that if you're practicing tongues, you just haven't read them in context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's true, brother, because, you know, the only problem goes back to Sola Scriptura. Our, our friends in the charismatic world do not value the word of God. They, they, they just go, even if they read in scripture and see that go with experience and emotions, just don't value the word of God because if I flash back to my own life, you know, they, they just, they are just uh, happy, moved to go with, uh, with experiences, with emotions, with feelings. Even if they go into scripture and find it point blank there, they, they, they just say, but it does not work for me. They just willingly, we, I think uh, we need to, to pray for them and help them understand scripture. Know that these days God is speaking to us through scripture and scripture alone. So they need to obey whatever is written in scripture. They, they should learn to go with it and abandon all other experiences that are not found in scripture. I, th I think that, that, that that's the, the major problem is sola scriptura, scripture alone. Mm. For them, if they don't have scripture alone. They have scripture with the, the prophets, scripture with their pastors, scripture with many other experiences. But one, because you and me, I believe, it is sola scriptura that helped us reach where we are. It is just by raising up our hands and say, Lord, I surrender all my feelings, my emotions to, yeah. to what scripture says. I want to go with the Bible. We are so, and also, brother, as we end this, I believe that because I was there, you were there, I know how difficult it is with one one's power to come from charismatic to, 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 to sound doctrine. It needs the grace of God alone, brother. Because sometimes when I I share, I go sharing the gospel to Muslims and even these charismatics, sometimes I even tell my wife here, it's even easier to share the gospel to Muslims than to these charismatics because for them, they believe that they, they are okay. They, they, they call you my, my fellow Christian, my brother. So yet those other guys, you can just easily present Christ is different from the way you understand him. But these guys think that they are Christians, they have the Bible. Yeah, so um, it, it needs grace. Even as we teach them through our podcasts, brother, uh, even tonight after the podcast, let us go on our knees and mention them before the, the, the throne of grace. That the, the Lord, the Lord will shine his face unto his elect who are deceived that world to come out of it. Otherwise, myself, it was not easy even when Justin Peters and other brethren were really pointing these things to me. It is just grace and grace alone, brother. 
And, and so if you say you're a believer and you speak in tongues, you're in the charismatic Pentecostal church, you say you love the word of God, you know, then, then I'm challenging you to review what we've said and submit to it. Bill and I both understand that it is difficult to admit that you are wrong. It's difficult to come out of maybe a group that you've been a part of for a long time. But let, let me just ask the question, what is more important to you, fitting in with a crowd that goes against scripture or pleasing Christ who died for you on the cross? You've got to ask yourself that. And I think if you come to the conclusion, anything other than what we've demonstrated here straight from the word of God, then the reality is you probably just don't care about the word of God. And if that's the case, I would just plead that you would get on your knees, that you would ask God to forgive you. You may not be saved if that's the case. And mm -hmm. certainly want you to come into loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. But until next time, make sure you are letting the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast, hosted by Bill Issa and Nathaniel Jolly, is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program, serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device, or listen online at anchor.fm forward slash truthbeknown.